ideas as to what actually constitutes English literature have changed enormously. Back in the 1950s and 60s, if you attended an English class, what was served up would have been pretty predictable. These were the days which found novelist Andrea Levy and poet Paul Muldoon at their school desks. When I was a teenager at school in Armagh, we were reading Wordsworth, we were reading the metaphysical poets, we were reading Shakespeare, of course. It was, um, I suppose, in some sense, the pre-PC era. We were also reading a huge amount of uh, contemporary poetry. We were reading Ted Hughes, we were reading Sylvia Plath, a little bit of Elizabeth Bishop, I think, even then. So we were f- familiar with all of that. When I was at school, I had to read things like um, George Eliot, you know, Middlemarch, Dickens, Shakespeare, of course, bless him. And um, I didn't understand them, and uh, they didn't seem to have any relevance to me. None of my friends understood them. They were work, they were chore. And there wasn't anybody at that time who appreciated that the gap between my understanding, my life, and literature, the canon, was enormous and needed some help to sort of bridge it. And so there wasn't any real bridging. It was, if you didn't understand it, then you're thick. So the canon was a set of texts approved by the academic authorities as worthy of study and therefore commonly taught in British schools and universities. But as Andrea Levy has suggested, by definition, a canon will exclude more writers than it includes. And the canon of English literature also worked to exclude readers like herself. Terry Eagleton develops these ideas. I think what we've seen, maybe since the 1960s, I would guess, is a sort of questioning of canonicity of the canon, isn't it? Of the idea that was very, very strong in the 19th century and the early 20th century, that there is a kind of fixed and stable body of text, of writing, which is of unquestionably great value, intrinsically great value. That's always been a bit problematic, because if you look at the actual history of even you know, Shakespeare, the history of their reception and evaluation has often been quite turbulent, quite changeable, quite mutable. So, in the middle part of the 20th century, there was a reassessment of what actually was valuable for inclusion into the canon. Until then, it had predominantly consisted of male writers, and that was something that came to be questioned. What happened was that the whole question of value and the canon and some things being better than others, was thrown out. I don't think that was very typical of what happened, actually. What happened was rather an attempt to look at how the grounds of valuation, by what criteria, in what conditions, according to what norms, do we, as we inevitably do, make value judgments that this is canonical and that is non-canonical. And when we looked at it that way, I think we were able to see just how relative some of these valuations were. So there are whole genres, not just individual works, which are not regarded as canonical, despite the fact that, of course, they have produced works, individual works, which are some, in some cases actually finer than some canonical works. We have to remember that one of the problems with the canon is that if you get into the canon on the basis of how you produced, you know, a very fine work, say like Wordsworth's Prelude, 
quite a lot of your second-class work tends to get in as well, tied to your shirt tails, so that Wordsworth's dreadful, you know, painful, unreadable sonnets in praise of capital punishment and so on, they also, I presume, are regarded as canonical because, you know, as it were, by virtue of association with his other works. And unsurprisingly... As the idea of a canon is intricately tied up with the ideas of a body of national writing, the English literature canon in those days was UK-centric. South African-born Neil Lazarus is a professor of English. It was quite hidebound and canonical, I, I think, in its focus, particularly in, in the UK. It tended to be overwhelmingly Eurocentric, of course, and very much national in its focus, and even subnational in the sense that there was very much an emphasis on English literature as distinct from British, uh, or certainly as distinct from American even, never mind African, Indian, etc., which were not taught by and large at all. The Open University. For more information go to www.open.edu forward slash iTunes U.